0: Midnight Facts for Insomniac. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. They disapproved of any public drunkenness, and also any other forms of tomfoolery. That was the original Prohibition. Tomfoolery was banned in America in 1645, in fact. Really? Hijinks were targeted a few years later. Okay, see so now I know you're 1648. <laughs> Ballyhoo was targeted sometime later, but they couldn't get past the spelling. (laughs) Both mischief and shenanigans, uh, strangely, still legal. (laughs) So weird. Hey, Duncan. Hey, what's up? This topic suggestion was from Stebble the Insomniac. (laughs) Ah, Stebble. From Discord. And the suggestion was prohibition. Oh, Lord. Okay. (laughs) Not prohibition of all things, but specifically prohibition. American prohibition of alcohol was my assumption. You said prohibition, but that will be a very broad term. Truly. Because humans have a long and storied history of prohibiting stuff, mostly fun stuff like alcohol and transactional sex and public nudity. Drugs. And murder. Yeah. Whatever you're into. We don't kink shame. We don't kink shame? <laughs> Cannibalism and meth.
1: <laughs> Flocka and face eating,
0: whatever does it for you. So you remember we covered the ancient Babylonian code of Hammurabi Yes. in our text episode. And if you remember, it was a phallic stone pillar inscribed with over 4,000 lines of convoluted legalese. Mm-hmm. Everything from property law to prostitution laws. Sweet. One aspect of the code that we didn't discuss was its ancient ties to alcohol prohibition. What? The code of Hammurabi banned the sale of alcohol for money.
1: So you could just give it away?
0: Well, if you wanted beer, you couldn't purchase it. you had to barter it for barley. Hm quote If a beer seller do not receive barley as the price for beer, but if she receive money or make the beer a measure smaller than the barley measure received, they shall throw her into the water <laughs> and if she swimmeth, then she got out of jail freeth car she 's a witch) <laughs> That doesn't really sound like a terrible punishment, to be honest. Just,
1: I mean, it sounds pretty hot back in those days and in that area. Like, it, if she cheateth you, cool her off.
0: Yeah. That's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Unless you're not allowed to get out of the water or, right. like, come up for air.
1: Or or you're thrown, thrown into up. the moat where people would frequently relieve
0: themselves. Or if there are alligators in the water.
1: Denial. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Otherwise, not that bad. It just seems a little incongruent with the other punishments of the Hammurabi Code. Where Word. Which were mostly death, yeah, and eyes. An eye for an eye, a beer for a swim.
1: <laughs> as
0: you can tell from that comparison, total sense. No, it's bad. I guess it kind of sucks if you belly flop. That's that's not that's not fun. No, bueno. So there have been alcohol prohibitions all over the world throughout history, but we're going to focus on prohibition in the United States. And first, just to make clear, prohibition has never worked. Not even once, anywhere, ever. But that hasn't stopped the haters from trying. Yeah,
1: and usually the haters are religious. So, you know, just going to put that out there.
0: There was actually an attempt at prohibiting alcohol in America even before America was America. Yep. In 1730, the British attempted to prevent alcohol from being imported to the colonies. <laughs> Thirteen years of homebrewed whiskey later, the British surrendered. Not for the last time. <laughs> oh, snap. <Wow. laughs> Colony dig. Revolution burn. <laughs> Incidentally, 13 years, the exact length of time that prohibition would last in America in the 1920s.
1: Also the exact length of time that you can try and lie to yourself that prohibition might work and Mm -hmm. finally have somebody come to power who likes to drink whiskey and have them go, go fuck yourself.
0: Apparently 12 years is the longest Americans can tolerate sobriety. Even vague, mostly a lie sobriety. Or could at the time. Now it's like half a day. Yeah. I mean, it's like I have restraint. I don't drink until my lunch break. mm. Alcohol is actually very American. Mm. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were both home brewers. Mostly Jaeger. (laughs) Also some White Claw. (laughs) Occasional Zima. It was mostly rye whiskey and also brandy. Right. But it is a weird dichotomy because even though Americans have traditionally enjoyed drinking, America has always had a puritanical streak. Possibly related to the fact that some of the first colonists were uh, Puritans. So weird. But even the Puritans liked to relax with a drink. This is true. The Puritans drank. Right. After a long day of churning butter and burning witches, they would sip teenies and flog themselves. <laughs> it's a different time. <laughs> this teeny is just delicious. I'm sinning. <laughs> Forgive me, Father, for I am sinning. Yes. In fact, there was more beer than water on the Mayflower, the ship that brought the pilgrims to America, partly because beer is more inhospitable to microorganisms Mm -hmm, than water is, mm -hmm. while providing valuable calories, and partly because being drunk on a boat is super fun.
1: And way the fuck better than being stone cold sober on a boat with nothing to eat but massively salted pork and fish and the occasional lime
0: to keep your teeth from bleeding. The truth is that while the Puritans enjoyed getting a buzz on, they disapproved of any public drunkenness and also any other forms of tomfoolery. That was the original prohibition. Tomfoolery was banned in America in 1645, in fact. Really? Hijinks were targeted a few years later. Okay, so now I know you're foolish. 1648. (laughs) Ballyhoo was targeted sometime later, but they couldn't get past the spelling. Both mischief and shenanigans, uh, strangely, still legal. (laughs) So weird. But by the late 1800s, alcoholism, also known as dipsomania, I didn't know that Mm -mm. midnight fact was rampant in America. The average adult male was a dipsomaniac imbibing between seven and 12 gallons of alcohol a year. It's kind of lightweights. Yeah, it seems a little low, Mm. but apparently that is more than today. Quote, that works out to more than a bottle and a half of standard 80 proof liquor per person per week. And it is worth noting that this figure is based on the drinking habits of every person aged 15 and older.
1: Wow. Okay, that makes it slightly more impressive. Yeah. And and wifeness gets mad at me if I drink more than one bottle a week.
0: Essentially, everyone in America was drinking. Teenagers, ministers, even pregnant women. Yikes. Lots of hair lips. Explains a lot of decisions that were made during that era. Yeah. And this is another thing I learned that I wasn't aware of, is that before Prohibition, the alcohol industry wasn't regulated basically at all. Oh, yeah. Which means that you could buy a bottle of whiskey one day, and it would be like 80 proof. And the next week, the same bottle might be 180 proof. And
1: the next week, it might be ethanol and you'd go blind.
0: This is a fun little game of alcohol or poison. (laughs) Is this night going to consist of lighthearted fun or slow, agonizing death? (laughs) And blindness, yes. Any well-attended party could just spontaneously turn into Jonestown.
1: Absolutely. Or
0: anyone who's ever
1: brought Everclear to a party knows how quickly that party can descend into madness. So just imagine a party... Where people are drinking hundred and ten proof whiskey or a hundred proof whiskey, on purpose and not mixing it,
0: I wonder if like that's why alcohol was super even more addictive back then too, because it's like intermittent reinforcement. Like you didn't know what your alcohol is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. Like every time you went, you're like, is this gonna be a mild buzz or am I gonna be naked in a ditch? <laughs> some nights are a blast. Some nights are an ordeal. Yes, you never know.
1: You never know.
0: Also, since anyone could brew alcohol whiskey was more than just prevalent it was actually cheaper than coffee or tea or milk yeah so maybe that kind of puts the magnitude of the issue into a little bit of context alcohol was a problem
1: yeah britain had the same issue with gin for a while there i can't remember the, the dates but yeah gin was being sold out of a shit you not wheelbarrows just filled with gin and you would pay somebody like a quarter pence or like you know whatever And they would just dip their cup in and drink it down and fuck off on their way. And there was no drinking age. So there was drunken 10, 8, 9-year-olds wandering around. Yeah, it was fucking debauching
0: Swilling from a mobile pond of gin? Yep. Oh, God.
1: Or just dipping your hand in it.
0: It's just heinous. (laughs) Yeah. Much of the prohibition movement was inspired by the supposed threat represented by immigrants like the Irish and Italians, who were portrayed as heavy drinkers. (laughs) Unlike today, when we have transcended stereotypes and St. Patrick's Day is just a celebration of Irish culture rather than an excuse to vomit out green beer. Right. Or you might have reversed those two. By the 1870s, the temperance movement began to gain momentum. And much like today, the country was intensely divided. In this case, between the dries who supported prohibition and the wets who were fun.
1: (laughs) The dries who supported prohibition and drank secretly... And very ashamedly. And the wets who
0: were just like, fuck you, I want to drink. That's a good point. Hypocrisy was huge. rampant, Very popular back yeah. in the 1800s, 19, I early mean, it's 1900s. I still pretty fucking popular. Then it's fair. It's never gone out of fashion. Mm. A popular technique for the prohibition movement involved arranging groups of singing women, known as visitation bands, that would descend upon liquor stores and saloons, singing hymns at the patrons and praying for the closure of the establishment. Sounds like a really good way to catch a few bottles in the headpiece there. (laughs) It was like aggressive caroling. Seriously. It's just a fun mixture of entertainment and harassment. (laughs) Slightly less subtle, activists like Carrie Nation in Kansas would barge into saloons and smash bottles of alcohol with a hatchet. Carrie Nation? Carrie Nation. Was that a dude? It was a woman. So it did
1: sound like Karen for a reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Prohibition Karen. Being arrested more than 30 times did not deter her from her campaign against belligerent drunkenness and bad behavior. Behavior like barging into places where you're not welcome and smashing a bunch of bottles. Barging into a place of business and destroying merchandise you haven't paid for. It's a real buzzkill. Yeah, yeah. But these techniques were effective, and successes for the temperance movement began to rack up. Also giant supporters of the temperance movement, purveyors of tea and soda. Weird. Weird. Probably for ethical reasons.
1: Oh, yeah. No, definitely not because yeah. they could sell more of their product than, no. than the whiskey.
0: We think soda producers would actually, it would benefit them because they could be used as a um, mixer,
1: yeah, or a back. Yeah,
0: because the alcohol probably tasted like shit. And so you had to have a shot of Coke or literal cocaine. They, back.
1: Yeah, then. dude, cocaine laced Coke mixed with 100 proof whiskey. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, there like, would be so many bars burned down.
0: I like that they're like, we need to get rid of alcohol, and then you can just drink your cocaine sodas. <laughs> One vice at a time. Seriously. Focus, people. Post-1800s, the powerful Anti-Saloon League, led by historic douchebag Wayne Wheeler, developed the innovative technique called Wheelerism, or pressure politics, to procure congressional support. Wheeler's lobbying organization famously cared more about how a politician voted than how a politician acted, talked about that hypocrisy. Mm. So they were happy to work with notoriously hard-drinking politicians, and the group used mass media campaigns as well as hardball tactics like fake telegrams, in which a few thousand people would each send multiple telegrams to Congress signed with different names, giving the impression of mass support for their cause. Ah, huh. It was fraud. Yes. Mail-in fraud. Oh, That's like a major felony. Yeah. Postal fraud. That's a big deal. And it's also a
1: a tried and true, you know, political trope now.
0: Well, you got to do what you got to do for the Lord.
1: Mm -mm. Remember the Lord, the thing that created all things that needs your help specifically.
0: You know, when you're working for an ethical cause. The ends justify the means, of course. Yeah, we'll get there. Mm. Uh, The Anti-Saloon League in the South was also closely associated with the Ku Klux Klan. Wow. And that makes the Klan even worse than I always thought it was. Because that means they were lighting crosses on fire and terrorizing people while sober. Yeah, I at least hope they were racist and inebriated. Right. As opposed to just... Like really powerfully, committedly racist. No excuse. None. Not that it would be an excuse. I, alcohol has never made me racist. That's not why I stopped drinking. It wasn't, it wasn't because... <laughs> Outed
1: himself, Jane.
0: Of all the things alcohol made me do that I regret, I never lit any crosses or... Did pee on a few people, but, you know, usually it was yourself. That was my biggest victim, really. <laughs> Frequently. There's no outward hatred. It was all directed After, yeah. solidly inward.
1: <laughs> Either semi-consciously or fully consciously self-directed. It's true. Yeah.
0: The Anti-Saloon League, an almost exclusively Christian group, rationalized their immoral, illegal, and underhanded tactics with an ends justify the means philosophy. Alcohol makes people do evil things, so we must defeat alcohol by doing evil things. We have to out-evil alcohol. When they go low, we also go low. When they go low, we go lower. In some ways, the battle over alcohol mirrors the political divide today, pitting rural communities against urban ones. Mm. Rural communities tended to be more religious and dry, and urban communities knew how to party. Okay. I mean, I never really understood that, though, because
1: if I hang out on a farm all day and have nothing to do except to go to one bar in town all night,
0: I'm be hammered. Yeah, again, I just think there was so much hypocrisy. It was like it's fine to drink at home, but we don't want people drinking in cities and bars where they're also probably fornicating. You know, it's a slippery slope. You hmm. start drinking in bars, the next the women are voting. A... <laughs> Many prominent prohibition supporting economists also made dubious claims regarding the fiscal benefits of prohibition. Hmm. So this was an argument that was made. They pointed to all of the wasted labor that supposedly happened on Blue Mondays when thousands of Americans were going to work with wicked hangovers after a weekend and dragging down the collective workplace morale.
1: This sounds like heavily weighted bullshit. Yeah. I've worked plenty of hours hungover out of my mind, but
0: still worked. That's also just a few hours on a Monday. Right. As opposed to like thousands of saloons and breweries that'd be driven out of business by prohibition and bartenders that didn't have jobs and all. And you're telling me that a few hours of work on Monday, is that's going to make up for it? Yeah. Bullshit. Nonsense. The biggest boon for the temperance movement, though, was World War I. Hmm. With anti-German sentiment spiking, German brewers became a focal point for scapegoating. Oh, Lord. Quote, former Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor John Strange summarized this fear in a February 1918 speech. We have German enemies across the water. We have German enemies in this country, too. And the worst of all our German enemies, the most treacherous, the most menacing, are Pabst, Schlitz, Blatt, and Miller. They are the worst Germans who ever afflicted themselves on a long-suffering people. That's some horseshit. Just wait 30 years, bro. Seriously. <laughs> there are worse Germans. You have
1: not yet begun to meet the worst Germans. It's a little premature. Yeah.
0: I would agree with his assessment of Schlitz, though. Mm. That was, did you ever try Schlitz malt liquor? Oh, yes. I've I've tried all of the liquors. I'm reassessing my thoughts on the German brewers. I think we need targeted prohibition. Mm. Just Schlitz. (laughs) (laughs) And Goldschlager Mm. and Jaeger. Those three. You know what? Fucking Germans. It is the Germans. Goldschlager might not be German. Jaeger's German. Goldschlager, I think it's Nordic or like Scandinavian. And Goldschlager has real flakes of gold in it, about 75 cents worth. It's more like gold flake, like paper. That's so weird. It's, gold is, the, ultimately, it's a rock. You just have rock flecks. It's just yellow dirt. It's debris <laughs> in
1: your liquor. I mean, don't look at me, man. I don't drink it like regularly. I used to have it now and again, but it gives me a wicked hangover because it's all sugar.
0: It could be worse. It could be a worm. Some tequilas include a marinated worm. In the bottom of your... A mealworm, to be specific. Yeah. I'm not a fan of this trend of detritus in my alcohol. I don't... I'm not paying more for that. (laughs) Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. You want me to pay more money to drink worm liquor? That was a brilliant marketing strategy. Someone was like, there's a worm in here. And he was like, no, no, no. That's uh, that's the good stuff. That's the goal. Drink the worm, man. That is an indicator of quality that there is a tiny... Dead, pupoid
1: creature in your fucking drink. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah. No.
0: So anyway, the popular narrative was that German brewers were sabotaging the war effort with their evil firewater by breaking up American families, leading American men astray, and corrupting the troops. Okay. Maybe even more compelling and useful for the aspiring prohibitioners was wartime rationing. Hmm. Grain production was viewed as vital to the war effort, and in 1917, Congress passed the Food and Fuel Control Act, outlawing the use of any grains or foodstuffs for producing distilled spirits. Hmm. In December of the same year, President Wilson signed a proclamation limiting beverages to no more than 2.75% alcohol by volume. So there was momentum building. And the Selective Services Act, aka the draft, also included a provision forbidding men in uniform to partake of alcohols.
1: Wow. I'd have been court-martialed real quick. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You can guess that the troops had mixed feelings about this law. Wait, you want us to face mustard gas, but not drink. You can go fuck yourself. I'm going to fight for my country in a filthy mud trench. I definitely want to do that sober. Mm. A popular song of the day that sums up their sentiment was alcoholic blues. Quote, I wouldn't mind to live forever in a trench if my daily thirst, they only let me quench. But not with Bevo or ginger ale. I want the real stuff by the pail. I don't know what Bevo was.
1: Uh, I'm assuming it was as gross as ginger ale.
0: But the troops were a little too busy dying in heaps to mount an effective anti-prohibition campaign, so the temperance movement had all of the momentum. Yep. However, amending the American Constitution, as many listeners know, is not easy. It requires a two-thirds vote of both houses of Congress and three-fourths of the state legislatures. Hmm. So while the soldiers were away, our good buddy sleazy Wayne Wheeler of the Anti-Saloon League... Drafted legislation that took the name of House Judiciary Chairman Andrew Volstead—you've probably heard of the Volstead Mm. Act—prohibiting any beverage with more than 0.5% alcohol. It was enshrined as the 18th Amendment. The Volstead Act is prohibition. Huh. It was passed on January 17th, 1919. By the way, Andrew Volstead, most epic mustache in mustache history. Even more so than, you know, Wyatt Earp or those other guys? I think so. I would challenge you to find a better mustache. I mean, you're not showing me a whole lot of pictures. So I, don't, I don't even know Stop. what's going on here. Okay, let me, I'll do that. I'm going to start a Discord room for mustache battles. <laughs> <laughs> you have to bring three mustaches to the battle. Best mustache. Why does that sound pornographic three? to me? I don't. Because mustache rides are a mustache thing? Mustache rides. That's That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. That would be, this guy would be an epic mustache ride. I mean, as long as you wanted your clitoris abraded, this would be the bucking bronco of mustache rides. Oh,
1: Wyatt Earp has got him beat. Really? Yeah, that's nothing.
0: That's a solid stash, man. I mean,
1: it's a solid. You got a solid walrus there, but he's got. I mean, you can barely see his chin, dude. Look up, Wyatt Earp.
0: Okay. Oh, that's a good stash. Telling you, man. This one's more manicured. That's like a dandy stash. That's a good stash. Yeah, but I think uh, I think Volstead has more volume. So only two states ended up rejecting prohibition. Connecticut and Rhode Island opted out of ratification. Hmm. The only non-bummer states. (laughs) The Volstead Act was actually vetoed by President Woodrow Wilson, who was not super on board with enforced sobriety, but his veto was overridden by Congress the following day. Hmm. Interestingly, according to government archives from Senate.gov, the actual wording of the 18th Amendment only prohibited, quote, intoxicating liquors without defining the term. And as a result, many of the senators and congresspeople who voted in favor of the act had been under the impression that beer and wine would be exempted. And when the enforcement component was revealed, they were shocked at exactly what they had agreed to support. I say, what? I have to give Do you know what era that wine is from? We didn't want to actually outlaw drinking. We just wanted to win political points by voting for a completely symbolic bill with no substance. Right. This was this whole taking a moral stand that's not our purview.
1: No well, no no, we take moral stands all the time. We just don't back them up with anything realistic. Exactly. Yes. Because politician.
0: Enforcement was immediately a giant problem. Yes. The law was calling for a massive increase in the federal government's powers just as a wave of politicians who supported limited government were being elected to political office. So there was a mandate to enforce this massive new law, yet government was suddenly reluctant to provide the resources. So they passed something without actually thinking about what would happen afterwards. Shocker. So strange. In the beginning, a sum total of 1,500 federal agents were tasked with enforcing the nationwide ban. (laughs) Sucks to be them. Good luck, fuckers. On the bright side, lots of OT. The actual details of the Volstead Act were more complicated than I'd been aware of. So this is interesting. Consumption of alcohol was not illegal. It was the production and sale of alcohol that was forbidden. So as long as you had the wine cellar
1: from fucking hell, you could just drink forever. Bingo.
0: So I said it was the production and sale of alcohol that was forbidden, but even that kind of only sort of. Hmm. Like section 29 of the act actually exempted homebrewed fruit ciders. Hmm. You can't make a light beer, but you could make strawberry-flavored rubbing alcohol in your kitchen sink. <laughs>
1: Who doesn't love strawberry twist isopropyl alcohol, honestly?
0: You drink it, you pour a little on your wounds, you drink some more. You go blind. (laughs) Little for me, little for... (laughs) One for you, one for cut. One for you, (laughs) blind I go. There was a maximum amount allowed, a couple, like, hundred gallons or something. But, I mean, it was... The law was basically a joke. Right. In fact, get this. Grape juice was legal to sell or purchase, Mm -hmm. obviously. But if you allow grape juice to ferment for a couple weeks, it would turn into alcohol. Yeah. So grape juice sales spiked and a grape drink called Vine Glow sold their product with a very specific warning label. Quote, after dissolving the brick in a gallon of water, do not place the liquid in a jug away in the cupboard for 20 days because then it would turn into wine. <laughs> I think that warning label actually included the first ever winky face emoji. <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> Don't do this, guys, because that would be super awful. So ever since it had become clear that prohibition was gaining traction, as you pointed out, Americans began frantically stockpiling alcohol with the deadline approaching. So most middle class and rich people were not deprived of alcoholic beverages at any point. Mm -hmm. Woodrow Wilson's successor as president, Warren G. Harding, he brought his entire cache of alcohol to the White House after his inauguration. Fucking G. Flouting the law was as American as apple pie and fermented grape juice. Yep. And of course, alcohol was legal in neighboring countries. And Canadian and Mexican breweries were more than happy to supply Americans with booze for their own consumption or, more lucratively, for smuggling and selling. The Detroit River was a notorious conduit for Canadian spirits. Which just sounds gross. It sounds very River sticks. Yeah. Alcohol was also legal for medicinal purposes. Quote, Physicians wrote an estimated 11 million prescriptions a year throughout the 1920s and Prohibition Commissioner John F. Kramer even cited one doctor who had written 475 prescriptions for whiskey in one day.
1: I need to meet this doctor. Um, I didn't know I could be prescribed whiskey. Uh, I,
0: I would prefer it. And then when your wife says you need to cut back, you're like, yeah, it's uh, uh, not according to this piece of paper.
1: Dr. Full of shit, <laughs> he says I need to keep actually upping my dosage.
0: It's very similar to how marijuana has been for the last right. decade. Just, it, you, oh, you've stubbed your toe? You have some Maui Wowie. <laughs> oh, you stubbed your toe? Eat
1: this edible that will make you fucking incoherent for the next six hours.
0: So due to all of the myriad ways that alcohol could be illegally produced or smuggled or profited from, three separate departments of the government were eventually tasked with enforcement. The Coast Guard, the IRS, and a division of the Department of Justice. These poor, poor bastards. Dude. It's like, catch these flies with chopsticks. That is your job.
1: Just one. We don't have enough money to give each of you a pair of chopsticks. You get <laughs> with one, one chopstick. Stick.
0: Right. The rise in bootlegging crime and the government's complete inability to address the scope of the problem, plus the blatant disregard for the law among a huge proportion of the public, led to a downturn in public support for prohibition. So weird. It's very tough to take a law seriously when even the government itself is not taking it seriously. On Capitol Hill, a rum runner known as the Man in the Green Hat operated freely out of the Senate office building. (laughs) George Cassidy, recognizable to Capitol Police due to his emerald green hat, was regularly making around 25 deliveries a day to the halls of Congress carrying bottles and a large leather briefcase.
1: This sounds like a Dr. Seuss book I want to read. (laughs) You see the man in the green hat? Where is he at? I wish to find him. Yes, I do. I wish to find him. He has the
0: best brew. What is carried by the man in the green hat? I want to get me some of that. By 1932, the tide of public sentiment had fully turned, and a large majority of Americans now believed that Prohibition had failed. Which, you know, is fair. One aspect of prohibition that often gets ignored is the class element. Hmm. Uh, Rich people often had stockpiles of alcohol and were untouchable, while a person living paycheck to paycheck was risking his or her freedom with every new alcohol transaction. Prohibition was a law that really only applied to the poor. And of course, as we've seen during every type of prohibition, from alcohol to marijuana to meth, the war against drugs is always losing because every distribution avenue that the police shut down is going to be rerouted and circumvented by the bootleggers and drug dealers. Typically within the week. <laughs> yeah, here's an example. So the feds knew that bootleggers and homebrewers were using ethyl alcohol to create alcoholic beverages, so they began poisoning industrial alcohols with additives. Ah, uh, there's a way to go. Often they would dye it with food coloring as a warning so that you presumably would buy it and, and not drink it. The idea was that the alcohol could still be used for camping stoves and burners, but would be dangerous to consume. So in response, the bootleggers employed chemists to renature the alcohol, neutralizing the poison. The feds then responded by boosting the percentage of poison. Some 10,000 people eventually died from ingesting so-called denatured alcohol during Prohibition. Uh So yeah, it was just measures and countermeasures. There were just so many ways to procure alcohol. There was bathtub gin and moonshine and home distilleries. Uh, bootleggers, so named as a result of the flasks and bottled they concealed in their trouser legs, heavily modified their vehicles to outrun the feds, leading directly to modern drag racing and eventually to NASCAR. Yep. Organized crime boomed. Famous bootleggers like Al Capone became household names. Yeah, see? The nail in Prohibition's coffin was the stock market crash of 1929 and the onset of the Great Depression.
1: Which, as anyone knows who's been depressed, is best time to drink, not worst kind.
0: Right. When yeah. you when a depression hits, it's probably not a good time to not have alcohol mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. House. I mean, it is for your own mental health, but just as far as what you want. Right. You know. Yeah. Not only had the public soured on prohibition, but local governments desperately needed that tax revenue from alcohol sales. A major plank of the Franklin Delano Roosevelt platform during his run for president was a promise to repeal prohibition. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I promise
1: when I get into office... You'll be able to drink so much it'll come out your eye holes. I swear you'll be able to
0: cry alcohol. Whiskey will come from your nostrils into your boots. One vital platform of my party, we're all going to get fucked up. (laughs) Everyone from household children and wives get hammered. He made good on that promise on December 5th, 1933, with the passage of the 21st Amendment, repealing the 18th Amendment, the only amendment to ever be repealed. All the other ones, people were like, they might have sucked, but... I can Holy still world. drink, if they. No matter how bad they get, I can have a beer. So prohibition, in a nutshell, done.
1: Stupid. Yeah. Never do it again. Don't ever. Do it. Ever. Don't do it. No. Stop. I know you want, I... Hey. Sure. Ew. I prohibit you <laughs> from prohibiting anyone from anything. All right, boys, girls, ladies, and insomniacs of all sizes, genders, and persuasions. You need to go out and rate, rep, review. Rate, rep, review. This is what you got to do. Go to the Discord. Oh, the lovely Discord, where all of us freaky fun friends are there waiting for you to joke with and play and trade kitten bee drawings. and Ah, it's awesome. And finally, tell a friend or twelve. Show them an episode, glue uh, an earbud to their ear holes, and don't give them the solvent to release the glue until they've listened to an episode.
0: These wrap-ups are just getting less and less coherent, and I've been enjoying it, honestly. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. If you want
1: coherency, maybe don't take do two episodes back
0: to back. I'm along for the ride, yeah, just yeah. like the poor insomniacs.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, uh, do these things, and all good things will come to the thing that you love. So, as per usual, and forever after... Knowledge is power.
0: Sleep is overrated.